anyone that has ever had a child or been a child has either heard the words or used the words, you're wearing me out, kid. Even as I say that, some of you may have already spoken those words just before you heard uh, me talk today. And, and you, we make that statement like, you're wearing me out. We, a lot of emphasis in different places. And a lot of times it's because we've had so many words come our way or so many questions come our way. And we just say like, all right, I've, I've had enough. In Malachi chapter 2, the last verse on into Malachi chapter 3. We hear the Heavenly Father say to His children some sad and really disturbing words. He basically says in our way of talking, you're wearing me out. You're wearing me out. It's described in Malachi chapter 2 as God being wearied by His children. They had wearied him. How can that possibly happen? We don't think about God being the kind of God that would ever get tired. But here he describes his reaction to his children as being agitated, uh, enough, wearied, burdened by their words they were speaking and by the way they were living. Let's look at it together. How could it possibly happen? Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking where is the God of justice? Verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hard worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God was weary of their words and their ways. God was agitated. He was burdened. He was wearied. By those who bore his name, by those he identified as his children. So I ask this question today, 
How might I weary my heavenly Father? There are four ways we weary God. And I hope as we walk through these four ways that we weary God, it will lead to the question at the end of how could we possibly turn that around where we would not weary God with our words and ways, but we would honor God with our words and ways. Number one, God's children weary him by misjudging his standard. We weary God by misjudging his standard. The way we misjudge his standard is that we think we know how God works. We think that we know what God says is right and what we and, and we believe what God says is wrong. And we, we develop in our mind, we have in our heart, this standard of what God's right and wrong is. And in Malachi, the last verse of chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, it seems that uh, God's children were misjudging his standard. They were misjudging what God would call right and wrong. God's children believed that God had changed. That's a, that's a major uh, thrust of these verses. And even when you get down in, beyond what we read today, there's this blunt, bold statement in verse 6 where God says, I, the Lord, do not change. But his children were relating to him like he had changed. The question is, he says, you have wearied the Lord. This is verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how? How have we done that? How have we wearied him? And then here's the reply back. You say this. You say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. What, what they were saying was, is we see people around us. We see other nations, we see other people, we see people that are not identified by the name of Yahweh, by the name of God, and it seems like they're being blessed. It seems like we're the ones suffering. It seems like we're the one losing. It seems like God's favor has landed on them and blessing the way they live. And those things that we as God's children have thought were evil in the past, well, they must be good because apparently God is delighting in them. Look at their blessings. They were accusing God of delighting in a new standard. And I read these verses, I think, of Psalms that you see where there are different passages where the psalmist will say to God, almost in a complaining kind of way, uh, God, how long will the wicked prosper? How long are they going to be blessed? Are you going to do anything about that? Are you going to respond to that? Well, it seems like God's children had reached a point where they were saying, well, apparently what we thought was good all along isn't good, and what we thought was evil all along is evil because God is delighting in them. God has not changed. They were assuming that um, God's standard had changed. And that wearied God. How many times in our life do we get to a point where we think, well, I guess uh, God's just different now. Uh, his standard of holiness is different than, that, 
than it used to be. God delights in the same thing that he's always delighted in. He delights in obedience to him and service to him. You know, um, my how could this wear God out? I think about my earthly father in light of this picture here of uh, God working and I think you know in my my earthly father he uh, he's just always been a chicken fish steak guy and and always fried you just pick one of them and if it's fried he loves it and if I said to my dad today uh, dad what do you love I love fried catfish or I love fried steak or I love fried chicken that's just what he loves well suppose my dad comes to town and I say to him, hey, Dad, look, I got something you're going to love. You're, I know you're going to love this. And he gets excited. Says, I'm taking you somewhere to eat, and you're going to love this. He said, where, where are we going? I said, we're going to go to La Perea. And, and I'm thinking in my mind, you know, I'm going to find, I got something here that he's going to love. And he goes, and he, he eats, doesn't say much about it. Then we, he comes back another time for a visit. I said, Dad, I got something else you're going to love. And he said, La Perea? I said, no, not La Perea, but it's La Cabana. And he, he said, uh, we're going, you're going to love it, Dad. You're going to love this. And he eats it, and he goes away, and he comes back. And, and next time, he said, I said, Dad, I got something else you're going to love. And he said, La Perea, no. La Cabana, no. I said, La Fiesta. So I, we go, we eat. And finally, he comes back a fourth time. He says, and I said, Dad, I got something you're going to love. And he, and he says, I'm not sure about that. I said, seriously, Dad, look, you're, you're going to love this. And he'll say to me, son, look, I, I, don't, I don't know about all these places you've said, but if you really want to know me, you know I haven't changed. And, I, and it's not, he, he would he'd probably look at me and say, you got anything that's like lock Cracker Barrel? That, that, that's what I want. I haven't changed. Sometimes as, as God's children, we can look around and our environment can change so much that we began to think that everybody else has changed too. When, when, God, when, these, when God's people looked around and they saw people being blessed, they just assumed, well, God must not be for them and God must be for someone else. And God's saying, you're wearying me by thinking that my standards have changed. And, and here's the truth I, I want you to see in this. God's standard of what, of who he is, what he loves, has not changed. What God delights in has not changed. Number two, we weary God by misjudging his standard. We weary God by doubting his timing. We weary God by doubting his timing. They ask this question, Where's, where is God? Verse 17, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Where is he? Why isn't he showing up? Why isn't he doing something? Again, I think of the Psalms where you have the writer of Psalms will say to God, How long, O Lord? How long? How long are things going to be like this? Are you 
asleep? Have, has something slipped in past you? Are you paying attention to someone else? Are you looking in another place? They were doubting where God was for them. And their actions of doubting God's timing was a judgment on his sovereignty and a judgment on his power and a judgment on his presence. They were like, God must not be sovereign. God must not be powerful. God must not be always present with us. Look where we are. Look what we're dealing with here in our lives. Don't forget the context of Malachi. Malachi basically was written at the same time that uh, the book of Nehemiah was written. And just uh, uh, about a year ago, we were working through the book of Nehemiah in a series called Re Rebuild. And Nehemiah comes because the temple has just been rebuilt in Jerusalem, but the walls were broken down. And the people were vulnerable to the attack of their enemies. And it was a, a, a show of insecurity for them not to have walls around their city. And, and, and Nehemiah comes and and, he, and he, he leads the people and rallies the people. And in 52 days, they build the walls back around Jerusalem. And now they have the temple. And now they have the walls. But yet, Malachi comes along and he sees the people, even in the midst of God being so faithful. This book is written with a sense of the, the, the spirit of rebuke in it. And in this particular instance of them being like, where's God? You know, we look at that back and we look at the book of Nehemiah. We look at this book and we would say, how could they possibly doubt God's timing? Where in their time of need, God sent Nehemiah, the right person, to, to rally the people, to build the walls. And in 52 days, God could rebuild the walls around the city. Think about in our own lives, though, today, maybe easier to look back and judge them, but we look at our own lives and how tempted we are to doubt God's timing and ask God, where are you? How long is it going to be like this? Is anything going to change? And put it into the context, like we put Malachi into the context of Nehemiah's day, put, put this into the context of today. Put your life in where we are. I think about our church families, 140 years old. In 1880, our church was established. You can imagine us doubting God's timing if we said, you know what, we've been a part of this church for a year, or we've been a part of this church for five years, or we've been a part of this church for 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years. And, and God... I'm just watching you and I'm just thinking in this moment, where are you? What are you going to do? God would say, don't judge who I am based on one year or 10 years or 20 years. This church is 140 years old. You see my faithfulness? You take our church is 140 years old. We, we live in a nation that's 245 years old. And God might say, you're, you're worried about a year in the life of your nation or five years in the life of your nation or 60 years in the life of your nation. Don't let a small segment of time be what you decide means whether or not God is off on his timing. 
But don't just stop with our church's age or our nation's age. Think about how many years have passed since Jesus lived. Let's say 2,020 years. And God would say, look, don't judge whether or not you think I'm right on my timing by 70 years or 80 years. I've been faithful over 2,020 years. But add Malachi in. That takes us back 2,400 years. And over 2,400 years, God would say, don't make a decision based on a small segment of time when I've been faithful over 2,400 years. But put it in the context of God. Not a church's life or a nation's life or... Our world's uh, uh, life since Jesus, put it in the context of God's life. There is no measure. God is infinite when it comes to time. And so the children of Israel that would doubt his timing, God would look at them and say, I've been faithful since I said, let there be light. And I was even faithful before I said, let there be light. You see, when God saw them doubting his timing, he wanted them to see he had been faithful and it wearied him for them to doubt his faithfulness. And here's the truth I want to settle in on. God is never late in keeping his word or exercising his faithfulness. They had wearied God by misjudging his standard. But God's standard of what he delights in has never changed. God's children wearied him by doubting his timing. But God is never late in keeping his word or exercising his faithfulness. Number three, God's children weary him by questioning his character. It was not just... Well, everyone that does evil, God must delight in them. It was not just where is God, but it was where is the God of justice? They, they question his character. It was as if God's people in dialogue here with the, with the prophet were living out a life and they were speaking words where they thought his character was one that cursed evil. They thought his character was one that blessed good. They thought his character was a God of loving kindness and a God of justice. Yet they looked around in their life and they saw a lifestyle that seeming, seemed like God was allowing it. Just going along with it. And they question, where, where is this God of justice? It's, he seemed absent. He seemed like he wasn't responding to certain sins. What they were doing and saying, where is the God of justice, was not too much unlike what the enemy did all the way back in the Garden of Eden. God created 
the earth and rest in six days and rested on the seventh day. And chapter 3 of Genesis, we have the description of the fall of man. We have the description of sin entering the Garden of Eden. We have the, the, the description of, of Adam and Eve disobeying God's commands instead of being obedient to God's commands. Can I remind you of how that happened? It happened by the enemy questioning the character of God. And you go back and when, when the serpent would tempt Eve and she would then go to Adam with what she had done and he would also participate in disobedience to God the, the enemy, the, the serpent, in a, in a scheming way, would, would present to her questions like this. Like, like, did God really say? Is that really what God's going to do? Is that really what God's like? You, you think he's really being good by telling you not to eat of that? This is really what's going on. And there was this shade being thrown on the character of God there was a questioning of his character and this way of God's own children relating to him where is the God of justice had wearied God the truth that needs to settle in here on us is this not one promise to his people has God ever broken He keeps his word. There is no crack in his character. There is no change in his character. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word tells us, James, that he is not like the shifting shadows. He does not change. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. They had wearied God by misjudging his standard. They had wearied God by doubting his timing. They wearied God by questioning his character. And just before we move on to number four, just kind of search your own heart and, and think, have you reached a point where you have begun to question who God is and how he works? It can happen as a college student and someone comes in and begins to scheme on you saying is that really what you think is true is that really the kind of God that you want to love it can happen and when we experience pain and suffering and affliction or loss or grief where the enemy comes in and he finds an opening there to cause us to question the character of God here's number four we weary God as his children by ignoring his coming judgment. By ignoring his coming judgment. God wants us to live in light of the fact that there is a day of accountability. There is a day of judgment. There, there is a, an end point. There is a time where God says enough. This is the fullness of time. How were they, how do we see that they were ignoring his coming judgment? Their questions of uh, where is the God of justice basically were the people saying, well, apparently God's not going to do anything about what's going on around. But you get to verse 1 of chapter 3 and, and, and God's words is, behold, 
I send my messenger. And he begins to describe in prophecy events that are coming in the future. I remind you that the book of Malachi, uh, the last word of a prophet for 400 years before we get to the New Testament. It's just a, a page over in most of our Bibles. But to turn our page and, and, and look at Matthew on the next page, uh, 400 years pass by the time you get to the events of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Malachi is the messenger to these peoples. It's the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them. There was among God's people living in this time a lack of fear and awe when it came to their relationship with God. The last phrase of verse 5, he says, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. That was, that really is the, is the, is the event, is the that's the overarching accusation of the people for all four chapters. They, they did not fear God. There was no awe of God. And God raises in this chapter with his people the fact that there is coming a day of judgment for the purpose of birthing in their heart this fresh fear of a day of accountability. That some things matter. Well, let's look here. He, he mentions a messenger that's coming. And I want to try to explain this picture of a messenger. I believe in this passage that we're actually talking about two different people. This is, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. It's my conviction that this is a an Old Testament reference to a future prophet. It is, it is um, referred to again in Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Turn over and look just a moment there. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This reference would be picked up in the Gospels. And referred to in the Gospels 400 years later when, when uh, John the Baptist appears on the scene. In fact, we were able to say that with, uh, with uh, confidence because Jesus himself said this was a fulfillment of that very prophecy. Listen to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 Jesus is speaking. There's an encounter that involves followers of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the deeds of the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John 
what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Jesus' answer was meant to be communicated to John in a way that would give him confidence that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah that he had been looking forward to. But listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Verse 8, Matthew 11. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are kings, are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. It's a quote right out of Malachi. And then later, uh, some one would speak to Jesus and, and say, Does it, it, hasn't Elijah supposed to come before the end time? And Jesus would reply back to them, Elijah has come. And, and who he was referring to there is, is John the Baptist. And so this prophecy here in Malachi is, is pointing the people of God that, that history's moving. The, the future's coming. Uh, judgment's coming. There is coming a, a day where one will come and prepare the way for another messenger. Prepare the way for a, another messenger of the covenant. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Back in Malachi chapter 3. He's coming. It's my conviction that the first reference there to one who comes is John the Baptist. And Jesus says as much in, in Matthew chapter 11. But then a, a second picture here of, of just in a short amount of words, I believe, points to now also the coming of the Messiah. One messenger would prepare the way. The next would be the messenger of a new covenant. Jesus the Messiah. He goes on and he talks about the work of one who would come. He would purify. He would refine. I remind you that when Jesus came into the temple that last week of his life, we have the scene of him overturning tables and clearing out the, the, the money changers there and the sellers in the temple. And it was symbolic of Jesus making his temple what he came for it to be place of pure worship this fire and this soap we know what fire does in refining silver you can burn silver and the impurities will be driven out and nothing is left but the purest of silver this picture here of the fuller's soap it's a launderer's soap it's what you wash things with but this particular soap was not just any kind of washing process that was used for just any kind of dirty clothes this particular fuller's soap would have been soap that was used to wash something to the level that it would be considered ceremonially clean not just germ clean but ceremonial uh, in a ceremonial way, clean, that it could be used in temple worship. And it was a picture of God's 
spiritual leaders, the priests, being refined and purified so that pure worship could happen. And you see that the result of this here was that they would bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And God is showing them that there's coming a day that, yes, there's sin, but justice is going to be dealt with. What was God's view of what's just? I don't make this up. No political platform makes this up. This is God's word speaking. Here's what he considers needs judgment. He says in verse 5, I, I will draw near to you for judgment. Judge what? I will be a swift witness against what? And then you see here what he finds sinful. Sorcerers. This would be any kind of practice that involves giving your allegiance or affection or finding, trying to find wisdom from some other spirits other than God himself. Demonic activity. Spiritual allegiance in some way that puts God as less than wise. Uh, against adulterers. Against those who swear falsely. Against those who oppress hard workers, widows, fatherless, those who ignore or thrust aside the sojourner. You have this picture of issues today that we would call social justice issues. And we, uh, we can easily attach a lot of baggage to this, but look, this is, this is God saying in his word. I'll come to judge those. I'll be a swift witness against those who are in name adulterers, in name sorcerers, in name are liars, in name are those who oppress. God says, you want justice? I'm coming. And it's a reminder to us as we see what wearied God was misjudging his standard. God said, here's my standard. Here's just, just what I have always said is wrong, is wrong today. We weary God by misjudging his standard, by doubting his timing. We say, God, are you ever going to deal with what's wrong? God says, don't doubt my timing. I'm sovereign. We weary God by questioning his character. God, are, are you even able? Will you bring about justice? We weary God by ignoring his judgment. God is saying to the children of Israel, he says to us today, there is coming a day. We can find some encouragement in that, that God will judge in the end. But when I look at that, I think, what we recognize is this. I don't know that any of us can bear up under that judgment. As he lays out his standard of holiness, I realize in my own life that I need the refiner's fire. I need the fuller's soap on my life. And if God is going to be a swift witness, he would have to be a Swift witness against me because God's word tells me all have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God or the glory of God. 
And what could possibly be my hope standing here today is this. The messenger came to prepare the way for another messenger of a covenant. And my hope standing here today is this. That when God judges, Jesus Christ stands in the gap between me and God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So our hope today is not that we would get it all right. Our hope today is that Jesus Christ died for us. And that by faith in him, turning and trusting and turning from trusting myself to trusting him, God could see me with a clean account. But listen, even as we rejoice in that, don't miss the fact that God's expectation still is that we would pursue holiness. We see his standard and we would go after his standard. I want to close with these verses from 2 Peter. And just ask as I read these verses that the Spirit of God would convict and remind us. 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what God's word says and we'll be done. Verse 4, 2 Peter 3. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water. And through water by the word of God. And that by means of these. The world. That then existed. Was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word. The heavens and earth that now exist. Are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment. And destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise. We are waiting for the new heavens. And a new earth. In which righteousness dwells. Therefore beloved. Since you are waiting for these. Be diligent. To be found by him without spot. 
or blemish and at peace. When we are tempted to misjudge his standard, when we are tempted to doubt his timing, when we are tempted to question his character, and when we are tempted to ignore his coming judgment, remember, one day is as a thousand years. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. He is not late. He has not broken his promise. Let us worship him in fear and awe with lives. When he returns, may be found without spot or blemish. Father, I ask you today for your help. I thank you today for your grace. Thank you for your love that covers a multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of the new covenant that covers us in forgiveness and mercy. And I pray you would convict us pray you would convict us in the things that might weary God. And Lord, give us a heart and life that would honor God. In Jesus' name, amen.